Hello, and welcome to the Par Excel podcast. I'm Danica Williams, an Associate Director of Corporate Communications at Par Excel. In the United States, FDA and CDC recently granted emergency use authorization for Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine for 5 to 11-year-olds. This is the first COVID-19 vaccine available for younger children arriving nearly one year after Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine received emergency use authorization for adults. So if the adult vaccine was authorized for this long, why did it take so long to make one available for younger children? In today's episode, I spoke with two clinical research experts, also from ParXL, Natalie Soyer, Global Head of Infectious Disease and Vaccines, and Shipra Patel, Global Head of Pediatrics, who will explain the clinical trial process for vaccines, the nuances in this process for children, and the facts parents should know now that the vaccine is available for younger children. Hi, Natalie and Shipra. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Thank you. I am very happy to be here to discuss this important topic for parents and children. Let's start with you, Natalie. Now that a COVID-19 vaccine is available for children ages 5 to 11, it brings a lot of different opinions. One being, what took so long, especially given the adult vaccine received emergency use authorization nearly a year ago? For perspective, how long does a clinical trial for a vaccine take under normal circumstances? And what are some of the major milestones in this process? The development of new vaccines is highly variable, but on average, it takes several years, typically five to 10. However, in cases in which the virus is more complex, for example, HIV, vaccines have been in development for 40 years without any success. The malaria vaccine has only recently demonstrated efficacy above 75% after decades of research. For COVID-19 though, the overall vaccine development process was a lot shorter and faster since the coronavirus is a simple organism. Also, COVID-19 vaccines utilized novel technologies that were already in place before the pandemic, such as mRNA platforms, viral vector or recombinant protein platforms, which allowed a much quicker vaccine construct development than traditional methods. Other factors included the intensive work around the clock of all research teams involved and the prioritization of regulators for reviewing the latest data provided. As far as the process to develop a vaccine, the first step is to design a vaccine candidate and test it in lab tubes, then on animals to determine safety and potential efficacy. Then second step continues testing in a small number of humans while the focus remains on safety and the capacity to stimulate an immune response. Researchers check several doses and routes of administration to refine the vaccine candidate. The third step evaluates the immune response and monitors safety on a larger group of participants. Researchers determine the final dose choice while looking at the vaccine's efficacy, meaning its ability to protect against the disease. Finally, the last step continues to look at safety and efficacy to protect against the disease with even larger and diverse populations. The goal here is to reflect the diversity of the target population so we understand how the vaccine's efficacy may change by gender, age, 
ethnicity or other factors before authorizing it. Safety and efficacy continue to be scrutinized and monitored even after the vaccine is authorized. It's critical to know that while these COVID-19 vaccines were developed quickly, no steps in this process were skipped. Thank you for that explanation. So this is how the clinical trial process works in adults. Are there differences in this process for children? If so, what are some of those key differences? The stepwise approach that I described, gradually determining a vaccine's safety and efficacy on smaller and then larger groups of people, is the same for adults and children. The difference is that typically if a vaccine will be administered to children, the vaccine is developed and tested in adults before being administered to children. In addition, vaccines are first administered to the older age children before being tested in the youngest populations. As we've witnessed with the COVID-19 vaccine, the vaccine was tested in adults, then in adolescents, then in younger children. This allows assessing the safety of vaccines from the less vulnerable to the most vulnerable, typically the newborn babies. Another difference can be that the vaccine dose used in children can be higher or lower than what is needed for adults. In the case of COVID-19 vaccines, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine for children aged 5 to 11 is one-third of the adult dose. Researchers have tested two Moderna shots for the 6 to 11 years old given a month apart that each contain half the dose given to adults. Shipra, when we think about half or even a third of the adult version, how do children typically respond to vaccines? What expectations should parents have for side effects and efficacy rates? It really depends on the type of vaccine and child's age. For example, small babies have immature immune systems. In order to stimulate their immune systems, it can be necessary to give them more doses at a higher concentration compared to adults. As they grow, you can decrease the doses for booster doses. However, it can also be necessary for the dose concentration to be lower to obtain an immune response similar to the response obtained in adults such as the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine for children ages 5 to 11 and Moderna's vaccine for children ages 6 to 11. This is why it's important to have pediatric clinical trials so researchers can evaluate these differences. On side effects, these are usually mild in children and present some similarities to what we see in adults. Often, children will have some local pain at the injection site and possibly a fever a few days after vaccine administration. Some rare side effects are more specific to a given age group or gender, and again, this depends on each vaccine type or construct. In the case of COVID-19 vaccines, it's been found that the risk of cardiac inflammation, myocarditis, which is very rare, was a little higher in young men under the age of 30 and in teenagers ages 12 to 17 after the second dose of mRNA vaccines. However, myocarditis was not observed in the clinical trials for Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine for 5 to 11-year-old children, nor to date in Moderna's version for 6 to 11-year-old children. But as Natalie shared before, safety continues to be scrutinized for each vaccine, even after they've been authorized, because side effects and patterns can be discovered when they're administered to larger populations. 
The goal is to continually assess the benefits and risks of the vaccine. The good news is that with the exception of very young children, children and adolescents have a stronger response to vaccines than adults, so they reach a very good efficacy as compared to adults. In fact, the data released from Pfizer showed that its vaccine is almost 91% effective at preventing COVID-19 in 5 to 11-year-olds, while Moderna's preliminary results show that its vaccine also produces a strong response in the age group studied. So Natalie, now that the COVID-19 vaccine has been around for almost a year, researchers are finding that immunity is waning. Should parents expect that their children will need to receive COVID-19 vaccine boosters in the near future? Researchers have been conducting clinical trials of adults to check their immunity levels at various intervals after vaccination. It seems that booster doses are needed for some of the adult population, particularly for those at high risk and older populations. Given children typically have stronger immune responses than adults, it is too soon to answer definitively if children and adolescents will need boosters. Like adults, we will need to study how their immunity evolves in time. Shipra, while children can become infected with COVID-19, they don't tend to face severe consequences from the virus. Why should we vaccinate children against COVID-19? It is correct to state that children face much lower rates of severe disease, hospitalization, and death than adults. However, to date, nearly 6 million American children have been infected with COVID-19, particularly during the surge of the highly transmissible Delta variant. In addition, children with comorbidities or undiagnosed health issues are at risk for severe disease, in fact, more than 8,300 in the 5 to 11 age group in the U.S. have been hospitalized since the beginning of the pandemic, and some have unfortunately died. Children can also suffer from another condition called multisystem inflammatory syndrome, MISC, which occurs days to weeks after COVID-19 infection and can be very serious, causing inflammation of the heart, brain, and multiple organs. This occurs most commonly in children 6 to 11 years of age, and to date, more than 5,200 children in the U.S. have been diagnosed with MISC. Therefore, we must remember, low risk doesn't mean no risk. Also, vaccinating healthy children may be necessary to obtain herd immunity and protect vulnerable children and adults. Since children can transmit COVID-19 too, Vaccinating children can protect those who cannot be vaccinated or who do not respond to vaccines. Further, considering the far-ranging impact of the pandemic on children's social, emotional, and academic well-being, vaccines are one of the best ways to protect children and prevent any disruptions in their school and everyday lives. Finally, long COVID is a condition not yet well understood, but often leads to persistence of fatigue, respiratory problems, and many other symptoms for weeks and months after infection. This condition can be found in about 20% of adults who were infected. While long COVID in children is not as common, it is a recognized condition and there is currently no treatment or cure. However, vaccinating children can protect them from developing long COVID. 
This final question is for both of you. From your medical perspectives, what would you say to a parent who is concerned about the COVID-19 vaccine for their child? Let's start with you, Shipra. I would take the time to first view it from a parent's perspective, addressing their concerns about the risks of the vaccine for their child. A lot of parents are concerned about vaccine side effects. When you look at the data for the mRNA vaccines, the side effects are temporary and mostly mild to moderate, similar to those of adults. In fact, the latest data from Pfizer for the 5 to 11-year-old age group showed fewer side effects such as fever and chills among younger children compared to 16 to 25-year-olds. After reassuring parents about the possible risks, I would discuss how the vaccine could protect and benefit their kids, as well as protect other vulnerable family members. Considering the risks of long COVID, multi-system inflammatory syndrome, and possible risks from other COVID variants, the benefits of vaccinating children clearly outweigh any potential risks. For parents who feel hesitant and have concerns, I would recommend that they discuss this carefully with their pediatrician. These vaccines have been developed strictly following all guidelines and regulation to protect the safety of recipients. As we speak, Millions of adolescents and thousands of children have already been vaccinated in clinical trial settings, and it is proven to be both safe and effective in protecting children, as we have seen for nearly a year in adults. But ultimately, vaccinating children against COVID-19 does three things. First, it offers your child the best protection from potential severe COVID-19 infection and from long COVID symptoms. Second, it protects your more vulnerable family members, such as their grandparents, from being exposed. Third, and it protects your child's friends who may be unvaccinated or more vulnerable. Excellent. This has been a very insightful and helpful discussion. I want to thank you both again for your time and sharing your expertise. To our listeners, please follow ParXL on social media. To learn more insights from our experts like Natalie and Shipra, and subscribe to this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. We welcome your reviews and comments about what you want to hear in future episodes. But until next time, thank you for listening.